After living in a season of stillness and solitude, Jay Shetty took his experience as a monk in India to empower his passion and hope for the world, making wisdom go viral. In the last 10 years, Jay has helped more than 10,000 people find their purpose through ancient wisdom. Jay has developed workshops and delivered keynotes to empower people to successfully apply mindfulness techniques in all areas of their lives. Jay's video, Changing the World Begins With Us, featured by the Huffington Post, received 10 million plus views in just five days of launch. His work has also appeared on BBC Radio London, BBC Asia Network, and Shortlist Magazine. Jay joins us in this episode of Let the Music Play podcast as we discuss the journey of awakening to the reality that happiness is an inside job. Hi, I'm Ashton Gustafsson, and welcome to Let the Music Play. I feel that most of us have identified success as a container, as a decision, as a box, as a event as an achievement, as a destination, as a, you know, as, as a thing. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest, it's, sometimes it's just defining success because that, that definition of success that we've created has only been created by our schooling, our parenthood, our, our people around us, the friends, the books we read. It's just been defined kind of casually and unconsciously by where we grew up and what we did and who we spoke to. Hey guys, Ashton Gustafsson here, and welcome to another episode of Let the Music Play podcast. This is where we chat about what it looks like, what it feels like, and what it means to make music with our lives, our relationships, and our careers. Not long ago, I came across uh, just some beautiful wisdom short videos uh, from an individual named Jay Shetty on the Huffington Post. Uh, and immediately, uh, anyone that says happiness is an inside job is one of us here at Let the Music Play podcast. I found his website. I reached out to him, and I said, "Jay, you've got wisdom uh, that we want to hear from. Uh, we would love if you would share some dialogue and conversation with us." And what do you know? He said yes. Uh, so, with that being said, um, I'd like to welcome Jay to the show. Jay, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Ashton, thank you so much, and thanks to everyone who's listening right now. I'm extremely grateful and honored and very happy to be here. Well, man, I am, uh, I'm so grateful for you, your generosity, uh, and your work. You mentioned to me just a minute ago, prior to us beginning our call, um, that one of your passions is to make wisdom go viral. Um, and even just saying that, I'm like, Wow, I think I'm I think I'm synonymous in that passion with you. When you introduce people to you and your work in the world, where do you begin? Where where do you say this is this is who I am and what I'm doing? <laughs> I, I, I struggle with that one. <laughs> I, I I really, really struggle with that. I've just managed to be able to place myself in the three buckets, which which I'll try and which probably makes it sound boring as opposed to how exciting it really is. So so for me all of this is an adventure in how we can enliven, enlighten, have as many beautiful exchanges with people across the world as possible and share a message where actually I'm not teaching anything, but simply helping people uncover what they already have within themselves. So my areas of influence or work or where I see myself engaging, first of all, begin with really creating content online that anyone in the world could connect with and just 
pause for a moment. Like, you know, it's called let, let the music play. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I feel before you press play, you have to press pause. Yes. And I'm really keen to make videos and online content where people can just pause for a moment, take that moment, think, and then press reset and press play again in their own lives. And that's something that I'm really keen on. Uh, the second thing that I really focus in on is I want to make real change in the world. So I'm excited by videos and online content, but I'm also really passionate about grassroots change. So I work with several NGOs and non- not-for-profits and charities and philanthropy organizations across the world, feeding millions of, me- me- uh, feeding, feeding millions of people per day, and also helping people de- develop sustainable villages. And the final one is I work with lots of corporate organizations because I really feel that the leaders need to, to evolve and grow today. So I work with lots of corporate organizations around how they find their young leaders, nurture, nourish them, and engage them effectively according to their talents. So just connecting some dots and, and you sharing that, essentially, I guess some of the work that you are doing is one of the first things that we tend to forget about in the modern world is ourselves at the heart and soul level. Um, and it sounds to me like you are bringing uh, enlightenment, illumination uh, to companies, uh, structures, movements, and saying, hey, we don't need to forget about the soul. We don't need to forget about the heart. Is that? Would you say that's really the heartbeat of your work? Yeah, that definitely connects. It's reconnecting people or reawakening what we've forgotten. Yes. You know, so it's almost like we're buried under layers and layers of new identities, online identities, work identities, work responsibilities, relationship obligations, etc. And I'm just trying to uncover and remove all of those so that we can connect to that pure consciousness that we all are in, in a real scientific, strategic, ambitious way, as opposed to what maybe seems sometimes as wishy-washy or, uh, or slightly, uh, you know, slightly loopy thoughts, yeah. but in a, in a scientific and strategic way. Absolutely. I'm totally tracking with you in that. Um, it is the work of, of rediscovering what's already true, what's already there. Um, so I've only read this in your bio, um, but I, I see that somewhere in your history, in your rearview mirror, was a period of time as a monk. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, so tell me, I mean... Where, where do you begin with how that began, what that, what that part of your life was like, and kind of what, what has stuck with you from that experience? So I remember growing up and having a, you know, I, I always, I'm, I'm someone who never likes to amplify or, what's the right word? Yeah, amplify or bring more energy to any of the negatives I had in my life. And therefore, I always describe myself as having a very normal childhood, you know, not... Yeah not lavish and not, not, you know, I wasn't like derelict, like I wasn't free of everything as well. So, but I I came to a crossroads in my life where I had the choice of either going on to start a really successful career in investment banking and consulting, or the other option, which really only stood out to me was becoming a monk. And the reason why I came to that crossroads is I'd seen people around me who were so talented, go through so much pain. I'd seen people around me who were rich that were not really happy. I'd seen people around me that didn't have much, but felt joy and were trying to help others. And I saw so many paradoxes in the modern age that I almost felt that I also lived like somewhat of a paradox myself, where I wanted to help others, but I was starting a job or a career line that was selfish and all about myself and, and self-growth. Hmm. And and coming to that 
challenge, I also at the same time met a monk who inspired me more than any other CEO of any company I ever had because he'd given up jobs at Google, Yahoo, and Microsoft, and he was helping the world. He was building sustainable villages. He was building philanthropic projects. And I was inspired as a, as a young person wanting to make a change. And so when it came closer to decision time, I remember writing a rejection letter to the corporate company that offered me a job, thinking to myself, what the hell am I doing? You know, this is what, <laughs> this is what all my friends want. This is what I wanted. And I'm giving it up. I remember telling my friends at business school and university that I was going to go off and become a monk. And they looked at me like I'd gone crazy. And I remember telling my family who were, who were you know, confused as well. And in the end, I, I ended up making the decision purely of the curiosity that could living a life for others actually be the most useful life there is. And so I ended up packing my bags and moving to India and living out of a gym locker for three years, wearing robes, shaved head, meditating for four to eight hours every morning and in the afternoons and evenings being out building philanthropic projects and then actually going and speaking at universities and corporate institutions speaking about what I was learning as living as a monk and how that applied to modern life. So that, in a nutshell, is, is what it started off as. What, what was the experience like um, <clears throat> surrendering and letting go to so much of what you'd invested time in, so much of what everyone in your circle and sphere of influence was doing? Um, walk, walk me through letting go of that and, and embracing this paradoxical decision to say, you know what, I, I want my life to be about this. Um, what was that like? Yeah, really, really good question. Thanks so much for asking that. It was, it was at that time probably the most difficult decision I ever made. Like you said, it was against the grain. Mm -hmm. It was against what I'd learned, what I'd been taught, what I'd been said was success. It was against everyone I knew at that time as well. Everyone was telling me not to do it. There was just a, there were a few things. One thing was that there was a deeper inner voice calling out saying that this is what you're meant to do. This is a purposeful life. This will eventually in the long term lead you to a much greater good than working for a company. That was, that was one voice. The other thing was I was doing a lot of research. I was speaking to people who were five, 10 years ahead of me into the, in the careers that everyone wanted to be in. And I was looking at them and thinking, I don't really want to be there. So one advice that I always give to people is, if you think you want to do something, fast forward 10 years into that journey and see if that person that you could become is happy. Speak to that person, mm. research them, like find out about their life. So when I compared monk 10 years in to corporate professional 10 years in, the monk life just seemed more attractive. So even on a purely comparison-based study, research, academic version of it, on paper and in person, the monk's life seemed more attractive. Interesting. And then letting go of what I wanted and what I'd become, I found that I'd started when, when, when the spark came that this is what I thought I was meant to do. I'd surrounded myself so much with the voice of wisdom and reading philosophical books from the East and of Hinduism and Buddhism and, and reading about spiritual values and qualities that I'd shut off from the noise of the world. And so really what I realized is that I was turning one dial really loud, which was the spiritual monk dial, 
and I was turning down the volume of the noise of everyone else and what they thought. And it was really refreshing letting go. It was really amazing. I was just like, wow, like hmm. when you let go of what everyone else thinks, you can actually hear your own voice. And I think so many people have lost their own voice in the noise of what's happening outside of them. Yeah, yeah. Including myself. <laughs> well, that's our work, right? I mean, once once you've once you enter into um, the understanding and the awareness of letting go of the ego, the false self, and 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 finding who you truly are, um, yeah. I think there's. I don't think there's enough dialogue around the courage and bravery it takes to embrace that role in the world. Um, sure. I, and and I'm speaking a little bit from personal experience, but I can I can only imagine um, that being similar case for you. Um, so, like, what has stuck with you from that experience? I always ask people if they have any morning or daily rituals uh, that they adhere to. Do, do you have consistent practices, be it connected to that or or anything else, um, that daily help you align uh, to be who you want to be? Yeah, definitely. So I still meditate for two hours every morning. Wow. Uh, I, 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 can, I compare meditating to eating. I feel like you only realize how powerful meditation is when you do it for a certain period of time and then you stop doing it. So like we eat every day. And the only day you realize how powerful food is is the day that you don't eat it or you miss out on it and then you mm -hmm. feel like you're really hungry. Mm -hmm. And meditation is exactly the same. It nourishes you every day. And you won't realize how powerful, effective, focused, fulfilled, happy it makes you until the day that you don't do it. And then you realize, wow, this, this, you know, I, I'm missing out on something. So I still meditate for two hours every morning. I try and do it in one go just because I prefer that real space. And I really feel that that gets me ready for being able to monitor, manage, decide, control let go throughout the day. So it's, it's, for me, it's like a remote control. Meditation is like a remote control. It helps me press pause, rewind, fast forward and play whenever I feel like it. Hmm. And I feel when I've done that two hours in the morning, I feel that way throughout the day. And when I miss out on that two hours, I, I feel like my capabilities of being a remote control is, is less, less fulfilled. Wow. The, the, another daily habit that I have is what I, well, what I was taught as is called the four austerities of speech. So it's to speak things that are true, beneficial to others, don't agitate the minds of others, and are based on fact. Hmm. And so, so that's something that I always check with myself. Am I saying words that are truthful? Am I saying words that are beneficial to everyone? Am I saying words in a way that don't agitate the minds of other people, which is always the hardest one, especially when you want to get back at someone? And, and the fourth one is, is it based on fact? Is it something based on what I truly know? And, and I'm sure that is, is reality. And I think that that's a beautiful habit because it's a constant evolution and constant inner growth. And always checking that and having that checklist really, really helps. Yeah. Uh, and, and another daily habit that I, I love having is uh, a constant re reflective practice where I'm always bringing back my mind to what I really, really want to focus on. So not being distracted by the insignificant occurrences of every day or being distracted by challenges that may arise or neglecting or denying responsibility of the important things. I feel that we often get so carried away. So to do that, I keep a gratitude journal. Mm -hmm. where I write down what I'm grateful for every day and what I'm looking forward to being grateful for the next day. And I also write down positive affirmations of why 
I want to wake up the next morning, whether it's I want to wake up early, I want to wake up fresh, I want to wake up excited and enthused. I plan my day and the week the night before, which really, really sets me up for a powerful morning when I actually wake up. So you project positivity, optimism, energy, excitement into the world that isn't even yet to be. Am I hearing you right? Yeah, exactly. Spawn, yeah. 100% spawn. I, I call it the invisible world. Hmm. And I feel that more work needs to be done in the invisible world than in the visible world. Mm -hmm. Because what you don't see is what makes what you see today possible. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there's, there's a great story where, that I like to tell. It's only an anecdote, but it's one of my favorite ones of a lady when she was walking in a marketplace and she sees Picasso. And she walks up to Picasso and she says, Picasso, can you draw me a portrait? And he said, sure, I can draw you a portrait. So in 30 seconds, he grabs a pen and paper and sketches an identical portrait of this lady. And handing it back to her, he says, that will be $30,000. And she says, Picasso, what do you mean $30,000? It only took you 30 seconds. And then he says, well, it took me 30 years to be able to do that in 30 seconds. <laughs> and, and that's why it's $30,000. And, and I love it because it's we always focus on the externals. We always focus on what we can see. But you know, it's, it's, the, it's the practices, the routines, the projections that we all make in this invisible space that really have an impact. Yeah. Uh, does this stillness begin at the same time every day? Yes. I, I think doing something at the same time every day builds up a beautiful habit and discipline. I also yeah. feel that it just gets the mind ready. You know, the mind is just always wanting to change, always wanting something fresh. We can see that with social media today. You always want a new message, you know the same chemical is released from the brain as when we uh, touch money and, and see our payslip as when we see a message on social media or an email notification. Wow. And it's like we've got that, we want that buzz and therefore calming the mind and getting it to be our best friend instead of our worst enemy comes with doing something at the same time every day. Mm -hmm. So I think if you want to build up, if you want to be able to direct and have a real conversation with your mind, you need to be doing something at the same time every day to get there in that space. And it totally prepares you to move into and interact with each day what truly matters. Um, yes. In, instead of seeking the buzz every time you hit refresh in your inbox, another Instagram stream, another whatever, you're, you're to be keenly aware, I think, you get to the end of your day and you go, oh, I can, I can see the progress I made. Rather than getting to the end of your day and going, I don't even know what just happened. I know I looked at a bunch of YouTube videos for a while. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've, we've all had that day where you watched an Instagram video, then ended up on YouTube, and then ended up, you know, watching, watching the weirdest video in the world that you wouldn't dare copy and paste into a comment to share what you've been watching. And we've all been there, but... The reason why it happens is because we're we're rarely consciously directing our thoughts. Right. Yep. And and being able to develop that as a practice is a beautiful way of living. Now I'm all for spontaneity as well. I love flow and I love yeah. being in flow where I don't even have to think and I'm unconsciously being the most competent and most creative I've ever been. But I feel that there is more part of the day, probably seventy five percent of the day, where we function better when things are conscious, intentional yep. and, and chosen. Yeah. It's the beauty of paradox. You got to have, you have to have both. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I talk a lot about accepting polarities. I feel like there's a big part of us that wants extremes. Like we either say we want a digital detox or we say we're going to use our phone every single day and every moment. We don't believe that there's 
an embracing of polarity that actually there are times when you need to switch off and there are times you need to switch on. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. <clears throat> so one of the first videos I watched uh, that you did, and uh, they're brilliant, by the way, I love them. Um, you talked about our need as humans to redefine success. Um, and this, this is a topic that I, when, when I get to teach, I teach on as well, but I'd love to hear you riff on, uh, what that means to you when, when you approach redefining success or you open that dialogue with an individual, a group, an entity, a company, um, how do you begin that conversation? So I actually begin it with the story that I start that video off with, because I think it sums it up so beautifully and there's a beautiful story, I believe it was told by John Lennon, where as a five-year-old boy, he goes up to his teacher and he says, they've, they've been asked in a class to write down what they want to be when they grow up. So I'm sure everyone can remember what they wrote down. Imagine you were five years old and I said to you as your teacher in your class, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now, I think I actually wrote down cowboy or something <laughs> like that. And then, and then ended up writing down policeman a few years later and then it evolved into designer and art director and all the rest of it. So if you go back to five years old, what would you write down? So I'd love for the audience to, you know, if you're listening to this right now, I want you to think about what would you write down when you were five years old? So some students wrote down astronaut, some wrote down doctor, some wrote down engineers, some wrote down singer, some wrote down actors, some wrote down scientists. And then finally, the teacher was looking through all the papers. And she, when she was looking through these, she came across one boy, and one boy had written down the word happy. And she went up to him and she said, John, I think you misunderstood the assignment. And he said, Miss, I think you misunderstood life. Wow. And I love that story because... I feel that most of us have identified success as a container, as a decision, as a box, as a event, as an achievement, as a destination, as a, you know, as, as a thing. Mm -hmm. And, and to be honest, it's sometimes it's just defining success because that, that definition of success that we've created has only been created by our schooling, our parenthood, our our people around us, the friends, the books we read. It's just been defined kind of casually and unconsciously by where we grew up and what we did and who we spoke to. So I really challenge people to say, how many of you want to be successful? And whenever I've asked that question, whether there's five people in the room, whether there's 5,000 people in the room, you have all the hands go up. And then I ask people, how many of you have a written down definition of success that, that you can look back at and measure and, and everyone's hand goes down. It's so rare for people to actually have a definition of success. I remember a few years ago, I was reading about the king of Bhutan, who when he was asked about the gross domestic product of his country, of, of Bhutan, he said, why are we measuring GDP? We should be measuring GNH. And that was gross national happiness. <laughs> That's a perfect example of redefining success. He yeah. said, well, even if the world's measuring GDP... I don't want to measure GDP. I want to measure GNH. And I think that you starting to measure what matters to you is what redefining success is all about. Yeah, yeah. And, and wouldn't you say once you get this personal definition that you can own um, that is disconnected from metrics, right? Like it, it's, not, it's not necessarily numerical. Um, it can be. I mean, th those can be there. But when you define it from your being, um, 
from the essence of who you want to be. And you, I, I love how you write, look, this, this, this new definition of success, it doesn't need to be about the size of our homes, but the size of our hearts. It doesn't need to be about gratification. It needs to be about gratitude. Um, would, would you say that, I'm, I don't know how to ask this question in the right way, but it's like you see the hurt and pain of others around you who haven't done this once you've grounded yourself in your very own definition of su- success. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I feel that, you know, what you've just pointed out as well, there's two of my favorite quotes on this topic. One of them's from Bob Marley, and Bob Marley says, money is numbers and numbers never end. If it takes money to be happy, your search for happiness will never end. Right. And, and I love that because... Again, it takes away from the numbers. And there's another one by Albert Einstein, another favorite quote that I have in this space. And Albert Einstein said that everything that can be counted does not necessarily count. And everything that counts cannot necessarily be counted. Wow. And it's just, yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, I, 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 would, I sometimes just say these things to myself just to retrain yeah. my mind and retrain my brain to, to align with these stories and, and put these new stories into my brain. But yeah, what you're saying is very true that it's just taking that step to actually cut away and come away from the only definitions we know that are only there because of society. And, and actually those definitions haven't got us very far either. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love those quotes. So you begin this dialogue with someone, um, and you're basically saying, Hey, let's not define ourselves necessarily by, by what we do, but let's define ourselves from our being of who we are. H- how do you encourage someone to start asking those questions of who they want to be? I know you mentioned once to create a to-be list in lieu of a to-do list. You want to walk with that for a bit? Yeah, sure. So I really believe that the biggest challenge, and this comes from something called the modes of nature that exists in Eastern philosophy in a book called the Bhagavad Gita. And in this book, it talks about three behavioral patterns, if you like. And the, the lowest form of a behavioral pattern is you want to have something, so you do something, and then you think about being something afterwards. So mm-hmm. I want a car or a nice house, so I want to have, that's my primary motive. So therefore, I know I need to do something, which means to make money. Mm-hmm. And I think about being something last. So if that means I need to, to make money by stealing or by doing something wrong or by doing something unlawful, it doesn't matter because I don't need to be lawful to have a nice car. Interesting. Right? So that's bottom that's bottom motive. That's like the lowest form of reptilian thinking. Yeah, and you <laughs> see that everywhere, right? Like everyone does we 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 all know people, we know uh, groups of people that operate in that way. Higher than that is I know that I need to do something first to have something. Hmm. So actually I value that I need to do lawful, excited work, I need to be motivated, I need to be passionate. When I do something then I can have something, and then I can be something later. I'll, I'll think about that later. So it's not that you completely disregard it, but you think about it later. The highest form of being, however, is when you recognize that to sustainably have, to sustainably keep, to sustainably and long-term have in the most effective way, we have to be first. So we recognize that if I want to be a millionaire, one of the keys to being a millionaire is to be someone who's humble and always learning. Right? One of the keys mm-hmm. to being a millionaire or billionaire is to solve the problems in a million or billion people's lives. Like That's how you become a millionaire or billionaire. So when you be that, 
you then do with that motive, you then act with that intention, and then you have. So the highest form is be, do, have. The lowest form is have, do, be. And the middle is do, be, have. Sorry, uh, do, do, have, be. Wow. So, so the highest form of being is to be, then to do, then to have. So my recommendation is if I feel I want to be someone that people can connect to and feel authentic, authentic teachings from, then the first thing I need to do is be authentic. I don't need to write a book, right? Hmm. As in, so many people in our space, like if you, if you want to do motivational speaking or you want to share your wisdom or what you're learning, a lot of people say to me, Jay, like, how do I make a video that a million people will watch? And it's like, well, why are you so worried about doing? Like, if you just focus on being the change first, if you mm -hmm. focus on being authentic, if you focus on experiencing and living something first, then when you do something about it, people will take note. I hope that makes sense. Dude, that's totally, you know, I mean, I'm just connecting dots here because Zig Ziglar taught be, do, have. Um, yeah. But I never walked through the have, do, be, or the do, have, be, or... I'm getting mixed up, but I, ne I never walked through yeah. those other two scenarios and it makes so much sense. Uh, I mean, I've got like faces and pictures and stories of um, so many people I know that have these three words. We've all got these three words. That's like what I'm sitting here thinking. We're all holding on to them in a way. It's just how are you arranging them uh, yeah, to, cre exactly. to create the beauty, the wonder, the mystery, the awe. Um of who you want to be in the world. Dude, that is so good. Thank you for that gift. No worries. No, thank you for, for <clears throat> asking the question and also clarifying it so beautifully as well. Absolutely. So, so happiness yeah. is an inside job. Yeah, exactly. It starts with being, you know, like I was speaking to Doug Abrams earlier this year. He wrote the book of joy, which is a conversation between the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. He it's, spent a week. Yes. Out with it's so good. I listened to it yeah. on the audiobook. Yeah, it's great. And uh, he came on my show uh, earlier this year and we talked about it when the book launched and everything. And, and it's beautiful because I think more people are talking about happiness by realizing that happiness is less about the word happiness and more about cultivating qualities. Mm -hmm. And cultivating qualities has nothing to do with anything outside. Cultivating gratitude, cultivating honesty, cultivating humility cultivating the identity of always being a student, all these things are totally inside jobs. They're nothing to do with what you got at school and what grade you got at college and, and how much money you make and how much your house is worth and you know how much your clothes cost when you add them all up. Like none of that, none of those things define your self-worth. You know, our self-worth is so much defined by the things that don't change. Like for me, Success and happiness is that which is not based on anything external because if it's based on something external, it means it can always be changed. Yeah. So I really feel that when we invest more time in being more grateful, being more motivated, being more of a selfless giver and influencer in people's lives, we naturally experience more happiness because these qualities are linked to happiness. And that's why happiness is an inside job. Yeah. And and, and, you know, in the video, I, I share that great, great quote that I heard from Jim Carrey when I was very young, when he said that, I hope that everyone becomes rich, famous, and gets everything they ever wanted, just to realize that it's not the point. Right. And I love that, because I, I see that in so many people around me. And therefore, once again, I don't want to demonize money, like I always have to caveat this and, and add a little, 
add a disclaimer that I'm not saying that we shouldn't have money. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a beautiful home. I'm not saying you shouldn't make loads of money. I mean, you should do all of those things. But the motive and the intention behind all of those things should be to help and serve others. And the point is that if that was your motivation from the beginning, just to have it, yeah. then it won't make you happy. That's my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's all, everything you could ever want um, can be discovered within yourself. Um, yes. it, it's this, it's this, um, objective light that we all have. Um, yes. and, and all across the world, people will refer to this light as different metaphors and different things. But one of the things that I love is that people that pursue wisdom, uh, we will all hold hands no matter how we come to look at this conversation. Uh, and we'll say, yeah, there's, there's something inside of all of us, um, that is a, a never-ending story. You, you, it only gets better the more you dial it in. Um, whereas if it's the pursuit of money, there's always going to be someone with more. There's always never going to be enough. And, you know, it, it, it only gets you so far, right? You just can't define yourself by such things. Definitely. I think it was 2000 years ago or something like that, where Aristotle actually said that the pursuit of anything is ultimately the pursuit of happiness. So he said, we only pursue fame because we ultimately think fame will make us happy. We only pursue money because we only ultimately believe that money will make us happy. So he said that actually anything you pursue, you only pursue it because you want happiness, but happiness is the end and, and is the ultimate desire of the being. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Jay as much as I did. Make sure you go online, follow his work. You can find him at jshetty.me. You can also follow his work on the Huffington Post. And of course, you can find him on Instagram and Twitter as well. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebird sing, and be love. Hey, before we go, I wanted to uh, offer an invitation to you uh, for an event that a couple friends of mine and I are going to be hosting February 19th through the 21st at the Redemptorist Renewal Center outside of Tucson, Arizona. Uh, This gathering is going to be called uh, the First Oomph Gathering. You can find more information about this at oomph, O-O-M-P-H dot cloud. And I just want to say, this is going to be a gathering of people uh, that seek to ask great, big, and lovely questions. Uh, The theme for this conference this year is going to be Tending Our Gardens. Uh, And we're going to look at ourselves, we're going to look at our lives, we're going to look deep into our souls and ask the big questions of, what's the state of my garden? What do I want to bloom? Where does the soil need to be tilled? Uh, And what needs to happen in order to have uh, just a beautiful life experience uh, through the metaphor and the lens of the garden? It won't be the same without you. We hope you will join us. Again, go to oomph.cloud to find out more information about this. We do have some spaces available at this time. We'd love to see you there. Today's episode is brought to us by Holsty. Holsty explores what it means to live a life of intention and reflection through art, words, and action. Through their monthly subscription, Holsty examines themes inspired by the science of mindfulness, positive psychology, and ancient philosophy. Each month, subscribers receive letterpress prints illustrated by emerging artists, along with action lists and digital toolkits encouraging further exploration and reflection. 
Holstie's journey began in 2009 with the viral popularity of their company manifesto, a call to arms around how their founders define success. They couldn't have imagined how much these words would resonate around the world. The Holstie Manifesto was called the next Just Do It by the Washington Post. It's been translated into 13 languages and has received an estimated 100 million social media views. With the encouragement of their global community, they developed the monthly Holstie subscription to help people put the words of the manifesto into action. Be sure to go to Holstie.com slash Ashton and use the checkout code Ashton, A-S-H-T-O-N, to get your first month's free of the Holstie subscription.